Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, November 9th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's financial show, we're going to dig into the news of some very encouraging vaccine results and how that could potentially impact our world of financials-related stocks. We've got a few earnings reports to dig into. We've also got our ones to watch for the coming week. Joining me this week, as most weeks, glad to have him here as always, certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Well, pretty much every stock that I've ever mentioned on the show is up by more than 10% today. So I'm having a pretty good good morning. I don't know about you. Yeah. Hey, listen, you know, I I, it's, I, don't, I don't let the stock market dictate my uh, my attitude, but it's certainly nice when you see them go up. I, mean, you know, I don't seeing, either, but today might be an exception. We're seeing certainly uh, some of them are going down and, and, and we'll, we'll get into that, the, the whole stay at, stay at home stock uh, phenomenon and how that's playing out. Um, that'll be just one one part of our broader discussion here, but um, you know, let's go ahead and jump into this discussion because clearly the big news of the day: uh, the drug makers Pfizer and BioNTech have indicated that their COVID nineteen vaccine is more than ninety percent effective. Now, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. This this could mean a lot of different things, but it really does seem at the very core it marks a major step in the right direction in this battle against COVID-19. And, and, and clearly, uh, Wall Street is loving the news. Uh, stocks across the board um, are, are feeling pretty good today, with the exception of, of the stay-at-home stocks. Of course, we'll get to those. But Matt, one area of the market where we're seeing a, a big reaction, in, in, in it's something we talk a lot about here on the show, it's in real estate investment trusts, right? Those REITs that we talk about a lot. Talk to us a little bit about why you think uh, that the REIT segment of the market is receiving this news so positively. Yeah, well, got to remember there are many different subsectors of REITs that have kind of different you know dynamics here. So there are some stay-at-home REITs, like think of the data center REITs and things like that, and they're kind of not doing that great today. But most REITs um, own commercial properties that are that depend on people being able and willing to go places. Um, so when you look at just some of these numbers, and these were at twelve thirty, so they might have changed by the time you you are hearing this. Um, just some of the favorite ones we talk about on here: uh, Empire State, the one the company that owns the Empire State Building, is up thirty percent today. Um, Tanger Outlets that we talk about, they're up twenty three percent today. Simon Property Group, the biggest mall REIT, is up twenty six percent. EPR Properties, which owns about half of its portfolio as movie theaters, is up forty one percent today alone. Yeah, that was the uh, one I was going to really, uh, I wanted to talk with you a little bit more about. I'll let you finish, but EPR, that was one that struck me uh, as standing out. Yeah, and I was going to, um, Well Tower, which is a healthcare REIT that owns a lot of senior housing, which for obvious reasons, that hasn't been doing well, um, is up 17% today. And the last one, a, a lot of people are worried that people are going to leave cities if this pandemic keeps going. Um, and Avalon Bay, the big apartment REIT that owns a lot of urban apartment buildings is up 12% today. So, you know, kind of across the board with all the, the kind of reopening REITs are doing phenomenally well today. Yeah. And you're talking about people leaving the cities. You're talking about sort of that bigger picture idea that with, with going more towards a remote workforce or at least companies adopting the 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 mindset that, that you know, their employees can, can work off-site, um, 
perhaps permanently in many cases. I mean, that's going to maybe reduce the demand for living in these big cities. You talk about moving out towards the suburbs, and, and, it, and it sounds like um, apartment complex REITs like the one you mentioned, that, that, that's that's got to be the reason for the optimism, I assume, yeah. Well, for sure. And, and I mean, also take it with a grain of salt, because these are some of the most beaten down stocks during the pandemic. Um, I mean, when I mentioned uh, EPR, they're still down. They're still roughly, you know, less than half of what they're they were trading for before the pandemic, even after today. So a lot of these were really beaten down. And Avalon Bay, the apartment one, I'm not saying there's going to be no remote work trend that forces people to, or not forces, but that prompts people to leave cities. But the stock's down 40 percent year to date, and the vacancy rate increased by three percent. So that kind of just seems like it's not not balanced correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. You're right, and, and I mean, it's it's always worth remembering too when we see headlines like this because I mean, this is a headline we woke up to this morning. Um, all across the country, you could tell. I mean, there was plenty of excitement out there because this is this is the news that you want to hear, right? This is not the magic bullet, so to speak, but this is definitely the news that you want to hear. It always strikes me too, and I'm not trying to take the glass half empty perspective here, but when you see this type of reaction, it's always worth remembering this isn't over, right? I mean, this this marks a, a big step forward, but we're not through this yet. So, I mean, we still have, I mean, we still have a full winter here really to go through, right? And it feels like Let's try to temper everybody's expectation, expectations. I, you know, get get questions throughout the morning on should I be buying these stocks or selling these stocks, and it's like you know what. Oftentimes, for for investors, it's better to maybe take news like this, digest it through the course of the day, give yourself some some time to think about things, the implications here, because it really kind of feels like this is great news, but there, there's most certainly going to be another bad headline at some point here in the next week, two weeks, one month, whatever it may be. Um, so, so it's always worth remembering, listen, this doesn't just mean everything is back to normal and, and everything is hunky-dory, right? I mean, this is good news, but we're not through this yet. Yeah, I mean, don't don't run, don't run, throw off your mask and run out into the streets to play just yet. <laughs> but having said that, this was definitely good news, but th- this is going to take some time to really roll out, right? You know, it, at at a minimum, uh, Pfizer said they will be ready to submit for emergency approval by the end of this month if everything goes well. That's uh, two weeks after they they have all their their participants have gone through the trial for two months rather. Um, after that, they're only going to make fifty million doses or so this year. So even assuming they get all fifty million of those into people's arms by the end of this year. That's still roughly 80% of the U.S. population that is not going to be vaccinated. And then you have another few months. This is figure sometime in mid-2021, anyone who really needs a, a COVID vaccine will have one. So, And that's, that's you know if things go well from here on. But this is definitely a step in the right direction. And these companies desperately needed some, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and another kind of thing to mention is a lot of this could be short covering that we're seeing today. Yeah, that's um, a really you're seeing point. this spike. I mean, I looked right before we were on, and I mean, some of them, some of the names I mentioned don't have a ton of short interest. But if you look at some of these numbers, are just kind of off the charts. Um, uh, Tanger Outlets, for example, fifty-one percent of its shares are sold short right now. Um, Ryman, fifty percent of its share. Or no, I'm sorry, that's Seritage. Seritage Growth Properties, fifty percent of its shares are sold short. EPR, it's over ten percent. 
Um, almost 9% of Empire State Realty is sold short. So you could see some of these, um, you know, people might be covering their shorts on this news too, which could be really fueling today's price action. Yeah, and that's certainly not to take away from the gains that the stocks are seeing, but it's 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 worth remembering. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, they they've fallen a long way. I mean, short covering is is what it is, but but remember that's not fundamentally really tied to the business. I mean, that's a that's a short term uh, thing in nature anyway. And, and we're still really waiting for uh, some form of stimulus package to come. Hopefully sooner rather than later, because because clearly folks still need it, and it sounds like it's really just going to boil down to the president and the Senate negotiating some sort of of a package. There, I, I don't think it's really a matter of whether stimulus comes or not. It's really just a matter of how how big the stimulus package really is. Um, so let's let's pivot over and talk about that a, a little bit in regard to banks because you, you you see banks are another sector today that are really feeling the love. I mean, I'm looking at Bank of America here for example right now as as we're recording the show. Bank of America shares are up 14%. I mean, we're seeing um, I mean, I, I was looking at Ameris Bank Corps earlier. Um, I mean, Ameris Bank or up 20 plus percent today. So you're seeing that covering everywhere from big banks to small banks and, and everywhere in between. Um, it, you know, this is an interest rate related news, of course, but banks are going to benefit from positive economic news, right? I mean, they're going to benefit from a healthy economy. And if this is one step closer to a healthier economy, then you can certainly understand the optimism in banks today as well. Right. Well, there's, there's kind of two reasons you're seeing banks benefit from this. Um, Number one is interest rates. This isn't interest rate specific news, but the ten-year Treasury soared to its highest level since March today, and so so that's kind of a forward-looking indicator that the you know the economy's going to be healthier than people thought. Um, you know, higher interest rates means higher profits for banks, but that's really not the main driving force. The main driving force is that there's a fear that there's going to be kind of a long-tailed uptick in loan losses. People can't afford to pay their bills, things like that. That's going to go on until this pandemic is over, and it's a, a well-founded fear. If you look at the numbers th- during the financial crisis, when when unemployment was elevated for a couple of years after the financial crisis, loan losses at some of these lenders stayed pretty high. So th- there's that fear, and the sooner we can get back to business as usual, the sooner that fear goes away. And we're starting to see some of that today. And if you look at some of the the riskier consumer-facing lenders, you're seeing it. The, the gains even higher. You mentioned Ameris, which is pretty much a consumer-facing bank. Um, but if you American Express is up 21% today, um, making our friend Warren Buffett a lot of money in the process. <laughs> Everybody, I mean, it's easy to forget. I mean, American Express is a bank. I mean, yes, it's the credit card in your wallet, but it is it is technically a bank, and so it, it's beholden to all of those capital requirements and those and those rules and whatnot that that your Bank of America's and J.P. Morgan's uh, have to adhere to as well. They are the lender for if you use your Amex card, American Express is the company lending you money. So if if you run into trouble, you lose your job, something like that, and can't afford to pay it back, American Express is the one who gets gets left with an uncollectible debt. So as the fears of that kind of start to go away, you're going to see those companies benefit. Um, the more consumer-facing banks like Ameris, like American Express, uh, Wells Fargo out of the big four, I think, was the biggest mover today because it's a consumer-facing bank, um, pr- not just an investment bank. And if you look at some of the investment banks like Goldman Sachs, it's up by 7% today, which 
the fact that it's up by 7% and it's like the worst gain in the sector is pretty <laughs> impressive. But that's because the investment bank, the investment banking business has generally held up better during the pandemic. And you're seeing all these consumer facing banks really pop because of the, you know, experts are less fearful that you're going to see this long tailed loan default um, wave come through. And then you look even deeper into some of those numbers. And we've seen this over the past couple of quarters, at least with a lot of these banks, um, the, the, the themes during a lot of these calls have, have really revolved around those loan loss reserves. I mean, these banks are reserving a lot of money. They're putting a lot of money aside for the potential, for the possible um, losses that they could incur. It, those losses don't materialize or they don't materialize to the levels that those banks thought that they would. Well, that's a lot of money they put aside that is then going to be able to go really right back down to the bottom line for these banks at the end of the day. Yeah, you, they call that a reserve release, and you and you see that uh, you saw that a little bit in a few of the banks in the third quarter. Um, you know, they were setting aside billions and billions of dollars in the first half of the year, and it turns out that the pandemic didn't turn out to a worst case scenario economically. Part of that was due to the CARES Act. Um, part of that was due to just I mean, it it didn't continue to spiral out of control in March. It kind of leveled off after the shutdowns and things like that. So the economic impacts weren't a worst case scenario. 2020 hasn't been a great economic year by any definition of the word, but we definitely avoided a worst case scenario. So banks were able to release a little bit of their reserves, some banks, during the third quarter. If if there's a widely available vaccine and the pandemic ends and we can, you know, unemployment already is under 7% in this country. If it it falls back to pre-pandemic levels, which were in the, you know, 3 and 4% range, then you'll see a lot of these reserves come back and and be released and they that turns into a big earnings boost for these banks. Um, we saw that in the years following the financial crisis when they were finally allowed to release some reserves. So for sure. Um it we're going we're going to pivot into a little little bit of a discussion here on on the quote unquote stay at home stocks. It's been just kind of a it's been a pretty unique phenomenon to to 2020 I think and an interesting one to discuss. And I, and I guess to to kick that discussion off for me really it's interesting to see this disparity between four particular stocks and and if you look at Mastercard and Visa for example uh, those are two stocks. I mean, the market is 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 uh, you know rewarding those companies today. Their stocks are doing very well. You know, the flip side of it, you look at Square and PayPal. Those are companies where the, where the stocks are actually selling off. And I think it's just interesting to note that because you know we talk about this a lot. Where Mastercard and Visa really, I mean, at the end of the day, right? These aren't banks. They're not lenders. These are networks. These are toll booth models. They're really good. Uh, proxies for the economy for consumer spending, and you know if this is this is news that tells us that maybe the consumer is is going to be able to come back a little bit more quickly, that things are going to start looking a little bit better. I can certainly understand why companies like Mastercard and Visa would be would be feeling some of the love today. You know, but you flip that over, you look at PayPal and Square. I mean, PayPal and Square, smaller companies, a little bit more diverse in what they do and what they offer. Um, I, I wonder, you know, perhaps some of the pullback on these stocks today is valuation related. They've they've both had re- really good years, um, but but it it seems like there would be something more to it. I mean, there's there's definitely the square capital side of the business. I mean, PayPal just chalked up a tremendous quarter, and again, it's had a tremendous year thus far. I mean, I wonder if those pullbacks aren't just a little bit more valuation related uh, than anything else. 
you know, I mean, you got to think that Visa and MasterCard, they make the bulk of their money from a percentage of their tra- the transactions they process. They don't care whether those transactions are in person or online. There might be a little difference in the pricing and the fees they make, but the, you know, rising consumer spending in any form is good for those companies. So the fact that consumer spending is forecast to rise now, because you know, presumably because of a vaccine, is good for Visa and Mastercard just in general. It doesn't matter if people are doing e-commerce, if they're going out to the malls, things like that. On on PayPal, especially, they're on the PayPal side of the equation. PayPal depends, it, well, not just depends, but they benefit specifically from online spending. If you saw during the third quarter, PayPal added more subscribers, I think, than they ever have before, or um, or their payment volume increased by more than it ever has before. And that's because people are, for the most part, I mean, we're venturing out a little bit to stores, but for the most part, people are still staying home and shopping at home. And, and I mean, app, that's why Amazon's sales are still through the roof and things like that. So PayPal benefits when people are spending money online. Square, their core business is still in-person payment processing, but they are a fintech company. They're they're building out their online capabilities. The Cash App definitely does better in a stay-at-home environment for the time being, at least, um, with what it has to offer. So, I mean, you know, person-to-person money transfers aren't happening in person right now. <laughs> so people are using things like the Cash App. Yeah. So... And like you said, a lot of it could be valuation. These have been some of the best performing stocks. So I think today's news could have triggered a rotation from those high-flying tech stocks into these value stocks that we've been talking about, the REITs and the banks, that are all of a sudden seeming like a better value because, you know, from a risk-reward perspective. Well, that's definitely understandable. I mean, I think we've all probably uh, <laughs> been looking at the market this year, I mean, at least the second half of the year and thinking, you know, it, it's nice to see... Uh, it, it, it doing so well, but yeah, valuations become more and more a concern. And but I, I think that you're right in that in that rotation point there because you know we're not seeing necessarily any any real discrimination here in in the selling of a lot of these stay at home stocks. I mean, you look at everything. I mean, Amazon and Netflix being down. I mean, obviously Wayfair. I mean, you know, these businesses are not going to. They're not going to stop doing what they're doing, right? I mean, these are businesses that are still very much going to be um, serving consumers in in good times and in bad. So I, I think it's just it's it's worth noting for investors. I mean, it it's very easy to sit out there and, and talk about oh the stay at home stock fad or whatever you might call it is over, but let's try to look a little bit beyond that, right? I mean, the stay at home stock concept on its own, I think, was was a bit misguided and that was very short-term focused. I mean, you want to look for, I mean, stay at home isn't going to last forever. We knew that back at the beginning of the year. I mean, I would argue if you're an analyst and you're surprised about what's happening today, you probably need to work on being a little bit of a better analyst. I mean, we've been seeing this and talking about it for a long time here, so this isn't a surprise. Um, to me, the surprise would be if folks were looking at a lot of these businesses and saying, "Oh, now their time, their day in the sun is over," right? I'm, uh, you know, Amazon, Wayfair, Netflix. I mean, we don't need to worry about Etsy, another great example. I mean, it's not like people are going to stop shopping online, but there's a psychology behind some of this today. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, no one thought this was going to last forever. The reason today's news is so significant is that it looks like one, it's it could be over sooner than we thought. And it's not just that this came sooner than we thought. We thought we were going to see some stage three trial data, data in November, but it looks like no one no one predicted a ninety percent effectiveness rating from the first vaccine candidate. That was really encouraging. <laughs> really encouraging news. <laughs> 
and I don't know about you, but I've been reading kind of horror stories about this the side effect potential of these these vaccines. There was one uh, article I read from uh, some trial participants. I don't think it was in Pfizer's trial where they said after the second shot they were just you know on their bed for two days. Um, so and and so it's not only ninety percent effective, but it's doing it without any significant side effects, which is you know just on both sides much better than the, than anyone thought it would be. Um, so. No one thought it was last forever, but this is really giving them hope that the, the pandemic could actually become a thing of the past before too long. You know, we might well, not have to wear masks, and I might be able to come see you at HQ before before we thought it might happen. Well, we we will keep our fingers crossed. It certainly, like you said, I mean, there there are plenty 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 work left to do. It it, it does feel like this was really. Um, this was meaningful news today, though, for for a lot of reasons that you just that you just noted right there. And so, you know, all we can do is is, is continue to hope for the best. And, and and of course, thank you to to all of the brightest minds out there who are working so hard on our behalf to really uh, you know help us as, as not only as a country but really as a, as a world as as a, as, a, as a global society to get past this because it's, it's it doesn't discriminate. It's you know with a virus you can't you can't stop it and until you can actually come up with a vaccine you, you can't do anything other than to try to mitigate it and manage it and and that's what we've been doing at this point but uh definitely good news it seems like the market's receiving it very well uh by the same token folks out there you know don't let this just uh, make you think that everything is hunky dory and you get back to normal um this is this is one more step in the right direction but it sounds like there's still some work to do so uh, we'll continue to follow it and and we'll pay attention to the companies that matter to you most uh speaking of the companies that matter to you most matt let's drop this discussion for a few minutes and let's get into what happened last week which was another slew of earnings and we got to talk about all of these companies all week last week we talked about some of them on motley fool money um, last week as well but but there were a lot of companies in our space here in the financial space that recorded earnings and we want to get into them and talk a little bit about the quarters uh, we have a lot of them so we're, we're going to get to them we're going to give them give them their due attention um, in in quick fashion here but let's go ahead and start with really you know this guy likes talking about elephant guns. Let's talk about the elephant in the room here, Berkshire Hathaway. And and I'll let you talk about this quarter, but I'll just tell you, I was amazed at how much stock they bought back. Yeah, and, that, and like you just hit the nail on the head. That's the big headline. Uh, Berkshire bought back $9.3 billion worth of stock. Uh, I just wrote something about it on Fool.com today, um, about because um, Berkshire actually takes it one step further than most companies and breaks down its purchases by month. By class of share, so whether it bought back the A shares or the B shares, and the average price it paid per month. So remember that Berkshire can only buy back stock if Buffett and Charlie Munger both agree that it's trading cheaply um, at any given time. And the average purchase price in September, when they bought back the most stock out of that three-month period, was in the $216 range, which is, even after today's move, is not that far from where it is now. So that's them telling the market that even at that price, the stock was much cheaper than its intrinsic value and was a really good you know, just investment in general. Uh, Berkshire's operating businesses really didn't give us any big surprises. The company still has about $140 billion of cash, even after that buyback that we just mentioned. Um, and I'm really looking forward to its 13F coming out this weekend, because remember, we don't get to see what they did in their stock portfolio yet. Um, they're going to release their, their 13F filing, it's called. They have, which they have to release 45 days after the quarter ends, which adds up to the 14th of the month. So we'll see that soon. I do, we do know that Berkshire's cost basis in its stock portfolio went up by $9 billion during the quarter from this earnings report. And the only thing that we know they bought 
is about $2 billion of Bank of America stock. So what's with that other $7 billion? What'd they buy? That's what I'm kind of curious about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like we'll be able to talk, we'll be able to talk about that next week, maybe. Um, what do you think that disagreement between, between Buffett and Munger looks like? Whenever they're, whenever they're deliberating the intrinsic value of that stock and whether it's worth a repurchase, what do you think that disagreement? Do you think they ever really like vehemently just disagree with one another? Well, this quarter, it doesn't look like they disagreed much at all. <laughs> but in, in, in general, I mean, who would you say is the more conservative out of the two? I'd have to go with Munger. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah I, think, I think that's right. Um, so I, they're both very conservative investors, which is why when they say when, when they're buying back stock and, t- and sending the message that they think it's cheap, that's why I take it very, very seriously because they're both very conservative investors. But uh, I mean, I'm sure they they do have their own little you know closed door you know well not now they're doing it probably through Zoom, but they probably have an argument about what the company's really worth and and all that. So I I mean obviously they didn't argue too much this quarter. They bought back a whole lot of stock. That that's almost two percent of the, the outstanding in one quarter, which is a pretty aggressive buyback. That is aggressive. Well, you know that 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 tells you a lot right there. So that's worth keeping in mind, and we'll look forward to. Learning a little bit more about the, uh, the equity moves here next week and beyond as well. Um, Matt Square, uh, not surprisingly, reported another very impressive quarter. It was one that I, I felt like, you know, after after PayPal's quarter earlier in the week, it seemed like you know Square was set up to to report some good numbers, and, and they they didn't disappoint. Um, I mean, there were just I mean, there were a lot of numbers here that really make you feel like this business just continues to. Do a lot of good things. I mean, total net revenue crossed the three billion dollar mark. It was up one hundred and forty eight percent if you exclude caviar, which they sold off a while back. What what stood out to you in this most recent quarter for Square? Well, I've been I've been following Square's brokerage efforts for the, for a while because I love the Cash App. The Cash App users doubled year over year, which is really impressive at this stage, considering how big it is. Um, the gross profit generated by the Cash App. Remember, we've said a few times during the kind of earlier stages of monetization. Still, um, the gross profit generated by the Cash App nearly tripled year over year. Um, the remember they rolled out their stock trading feature on the Cash App. Two point five million people had bought or sold bought and sold stock on the Cash App as of the end of the third quarter. That's pretty impressive. I'm I don't know the stats, but I'm sure when they when TD Ameritrade was invented, for example. They didn't get to 2.5 million that quick. It's a lot, and they said, I mean, billions of dollars have already been traded by the end of the third quarter. I I, I saw that snippet, and that was one that, that that was something that really stood out to me as well. Yeah, and I mean, not only is their growth impressive, but it's accelerating. Over the past, you know, six seven quarters, they've grown consistently at like a 30 to 40 percent year over year revenue pace. This this quarter, it was, or I'm sorry, profit, gross profit rather. Gross profit was up 63% this quarter. So not only are they still keeping their growth trajectory alive, but it's kind of like it's it's going kind of parabolic right now. It's what you want to see. It's what so, you want to see. I mean, see. Square's quarter was pretty impressive. I, I bought Square a while ago. I never really envisioned it would turn into what it has. I just thought it was a really interesting payment processing platform, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and I mean, I, my only problem with Square is that I didn't buy more back in 20, 2015 or whenever it was the IPO was. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've clearly I've been a very sh- uh, happy shareholder as well. My my daughter's own shares, they they feel pretty good about that. Um, I mean, it, you know, I I can't know, I can't say that I found really anything in the quarter that concerned me. I, mean, I think one thing to note, and this is not this is not a mark against them. As a matter of fact, I think I, I really actually I credit them for this. Um, they're going to ramp up investments in the business next year. Talking about 2021, they're talking about ramping up investments in the business around 40 percent uh, from this year, and, and and that will impact profitability to the extent uh, that that revenue growth is impacted. So we, we want to pay attention to that top line. Um, the investments in the business could could certainly play out on profitability. Again, that seems like a, a short-term thing in order to to ensure the longer-term success of the business. But you know, you keep those types of things in mind because a company that's going to spend like that, who knows what the psychology of the market is going to be in 2021. But I mean, maybe that opens up a window to add to that position if if uh, if if the chance arises. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've I've considered pulling the trigger on some more square for a long time, including in March when it was in, down in the 30s for brief, for a brief time. <laughs> um, and I just kind of I got cold feet. I don't. I I, it, I I'm learning my lesson with square over and over that you know keep adding to your winners. Yeah, One of these days, yeah. I'll actually take my own advice and do it. <laughs> When, well, when, hopefully when, not. I, when, I, when I can stop talking about it for a few days, because that also has to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of our hurdles. But hopefully, the listeners are listening and taking in, uh, taking uh, your advice into consideration. Um, well, another another one of our favorite payments companies here that reported last week, PayPal. Um, I, you know, I mentioned that I wasn't surprised with Square's numbers because PayPal had lobbed up such a great quarter earlier in the week. And uh, you know, to your point there in regard to the user growth, um, the thing that stood out to me, and and I went back. Um, a couple of calls to really confirm this because I, when I saw what I saw on the release, I thought, "Wait a minute, what?" Because that sounded like it was a, a a much larger number than what they had initially guided for, and it was. Um, if you go back to January of this year during their fourth quarter, uh, quarter earnings call, management had set the target in that call for 2020 to add approximately 35 million net new active accounts. In this quarter three release, Matt, they upped that guidance. They now see adding 70 million net new active accounts for the year. So essentially what's been going on all year long has more or less doubled the 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 user growth that they had projected back at the beginning of the year and, and to no one's surprise I mean they, that is they raised guidance pretty much across the board. Well what's really standing out to me is I wasn't surprised that they added a ton of users say in the second quarter when everything was shut down and people were only shopping online and you know that kind of thing. What really surprised me is they kept that momentum going into the third quarter when, for the most part, everything's reopened. So they added fifteen over 15 million users in the third quarter alone. So I'm not surprised they raised their full-year guidance like that. And that they're keeping that momentum alive and kind of really you know, building out their base even, while, even when the economy is reopening. So that really stood out to me. Um, just a, a stat to show you just how big PayPal's gotten. They processed $247 billion of payments this quarter. That is almost a trillion dollars of volume flowing through PayPal system on an annual basis. It's phenomenal, that, isn't it? That's about 10 times what Square's doing, by the way. Yep, exactly. So this is huge, and that's pretty much only online. They're not even in the really in the brick-and-mortar space to that to a big extent. Yeah, not to that extent. 
I mean, they they have they added over one one and a half million merchants for the quarter. They have twenty eight million total. Um, the thing the thing that I was really impressed with Venmo continues to to gain a lot of traction. Sixty five million users drove forty four billion dollars plus in total payment volume. That was up sixty one percent. Forecasting nine hundred million dollars in Venmo revenue in twenty twenty one. But the thing that really stood out to me was that Venmo in twenty twenty one will contribute positively. To transaction margin dollars. So we've we've been talking about this a lot. We've had listener questions in regard to Venmo and profitability. It sounds like 2021. There's your profitable Venmos, from what I could uh, from what I could gather. Yeah. So I mean, Venmo is obviously something Square doesn't have. I'd call that a big differentiator for PayPal. Um, you know, just the Venmo PayPal ecosystem is kind of ahead of where Square and Cash App is right now. I would call it. That may change. Square's trying to be a little different with its cash app than than PayPal is with Venmo. I, I mean, I don't think, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think PayPal's mentioned the need, the desire to put a, a stock trading platform on Venmo. Or not to, put, to, my... to put Bitcoin capability into it or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. So it it's two different animals. And PayPal's, they're trying to build out the payment network. Square's trying to be kind of an all-in-one financial company for, for everybody. So that's kind of the... I mean, they can both coexist. There's a ton. They serve different use cases, and there's a lot of room for both of them to keep growing from this point. A trillion dollars is not a ton when you think that the the global card payment volumes in the forty to fifty trillion dollar range. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, that one don't let that one trillion dollar number scare you to, into thinking that PayPal is done growing. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It seems like. Uh... There's still plenty, plenty of, of wide open space ahead for for both companies to capture. Um, you know, another company that I we talk about on the show here, and a company that I, I featured recently in the show where we talked about the stocks that we were going to buy next. Bill.com, uh, Bill.com reported for the quarter, and uh, you know, it, it was it was again another another quarter of just what looked like impressive growth. I mean, total revenue was 40, 42.1 million dollars. It was up 33 percent from uh, the the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019. They saw a nice little bump up in gross margin, thanks to the business scaling and, and, and more volume going through the system. Um, they served ninety eight thousand customers at the end of the of the fourth quarter of fiscal twenty twenty. That was growth of twenty eight percent. Processed twenty five point four billion dollars in total payment volume on the platform in the quarter. That was up twenty six percent from the year ago. Uh, processed 5.6 million transactions for the quarter. Again, I mean, just um, a business at, at the end of the quarter, they had 2.5 million network members. That was up almost 40% from the year ago. So, again, I mean, for a business that's really focused in on that small to medium sized uh, business demographic and helping tighten up back office operations, eliminate paper, uh, create more efficiencies using that artificial intelligence, um, as a shareholder in Bill.com, uh, I was I was certainly very encouraged by that quarter. Uh, speaking of businesses that we each follow pretty closely, Matt Green Dot also announced earnings uh, last week. Tell me how that quarter went. Well, it was pretty good actually. Uh, their their revenue was up about twenty one percent year over year, beating their their own expectations. Um, the primary driver of increasing revenue is well, there's two actually. There's there's stimulus checks which. Kind of prompted a whole lot because they do prepaid debit cards. That's one of their big businesses. So that prompted a whole lot of usage of of those products. But their banking as a service platform, which they let companies like Apple and uh, Intuit and Uber use kind of their banking network because they are a chartered bank, unlike a lot of the fintechs we followed. Um, 
let them use their infrastructure to offer their own banking products to their customers and employees. Like the the feature that allows Uber drivers to instantly get paid is powered by Green Dot. Um, so that revenue was up. And the real key thing to mention is that that's where you really want to see the growth momentum in Green Dot because that's the higher margin of the of their revenue. Um, so that's growing. Their margins are up. Their margin uh, expanded by 100 basis points year over year, actually. Um, the new CEO who took over a couple quarters ago, Dan Henry, is doing a fantastic job. Um, and I know everybody was rolling my eyes, at, rolling their eyes at me every time I mentioned Green Dot when it was down in the 20s you know, earlier this year. <laughs> and um, he's done a great job of turning it around, turning the ship around since then and really focusing efforts on the bank, the banking as a service offerings, which is where where he should be focusing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Green Dot was was dealing with its fair share of challenges earlier on. Um but but it's really been a tremendous year for the stock. I, I, I know that uh, listeners appreciate you having having been able to keep up with that because they've made a lot of progress and, and, and patient shareholders are, are really being rewarded in, in exercising that patience now. So it's great to see uh, that success with Green Dot. Uh, what about Mercado Libre, Matt? This is a this is a company that we've often referred to as the Amazon of Latin America. Um, to me, that that is just such a small part of the story. It feels like when you look at the actual the fintech operations, the payment operations that they have there. Not to mention things like fulfillment, logistics, and whatnot. But I mean, a, another another just tremendous quarter from from. Well, let's just call it the Amazon of, of Latin America, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I call them like the Amazon and Square of Latin America all in one. It's not a bad uh, it's combo. Kind, it's kind of how I would put it because there's really two sides to their business. There's the e-commerce platform, which is the Amazon of Latin America, and then there's the payments platform, Mercado Pago, which is you know kind of the Square or PayPal, if you will, of Latin America. Um, the growth on both sides of the business was extremely impressive. This is not Amazon where it's a really mature e-commerce marketplace. This is still in the earlier stages of growth. So I'd call this like Amazon, you know, circa 2005. If, if if I had to put a year on it, um, on on the e-commerce side of the business, the gross merchants vo- gross merchandise volume sold on the platform was up 117 percent, so that more than doubled year over year. 205 million items were sold on the platform, which sounds like a lot, but go look up how much Amazon sold on its platform, and it'll seem like a tiny number. Um, on the on the payment side of the business, that's where it gets really impressive. They did 14.5 billion dollars, you know, U.S. equivalent in payment volume. Which, as we just mentioned, PayPal's numbers, that's about 120th of what PayPal does. Um, but it's growing at an off-the-charts pace, 161% year-over-year payments volume growth. And the best part is that the payment volume that came from off of its e-commerce platform you know, is, is growing even faster. That tripled year-over-year. It's easy enough for Mercado Libre to use its payment, to, to promote its payments platform to people already selling on its platform. The think of this is, um, you know, eBay getting people to use PayPal back when they were t- both the same company. So, but it was tougher for PayPal to get people who weren't on eBay to use their platform. And that's kind of the what you're seeing Mercado Libre doing a great job of right now. Um, I became a shareholder during the pandemic um, and I, I'd been meaning to pull the trigger on that one for years. I wish I had listened to myself a few years ago, but better late than never. <laughs> and um, the recent results um, show me that this is still in the early stages. 
Yeah, and you know, I think for me, when I, I when I look at Mercado Libre, I mean, to me, it really is all about the boom in Latin America's middle class. And I think even the room that they have still to run there. I mean, if you look at the numbers between 2008 and 2018, Latin America's middle class expanded from 33 million households to 46 million households, and, and making up a far greater proportion of, of, of overall households as well. Um, it, it seems like that number is poised to continue growing, which obviously speaks um, volumes for the opportunity in front of Mercado Libre. Do you think, and I, I, I don't, I tend to probably think not, but do you think there is ever the chance that they would spin that payment side of the business out as its own separate publicly traded company? Or do you, do they, do you feel like they, they would be better off keeping that in, in-house? For the time being, they should keep it in-house. I think it, I I mentioned the PayPal, eBay kind of example. I think when it becomes kind of a more mature business like PayPal and eBay were, where, you know, the growth on within the platform is still, is kind of limited at that point, things like that, then it might be worth looking at spinning it out. But for right now, it's, 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 you know, it's a, it's a very valuable asset that they're, they're doing a great job of growing alongside their core business. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Well, before we wrap things up, Matt, let's give our listeners one to watch for the coming week. Uh, what's your one to watch this coming week? Well, this is my, uh, when we did the recent stocks we bought, and you mentioned Bill.com, um, I'm going with uh, Lemonade, which reports its earnings on Wednesday. That was my uh, recent stock I bought. Um, this will be their first earnings report as a publicly traded company. Um, the performance has been pretty good for, for the stock right now. I want to see if their business results are backing that up, if they're if they're still growing like I th- like I think they're capable of, and if management's still making the right moves, so I'll I'll report back next week and, and after they report their earnings. But I'm, that's what I'm keeping my on eye on this week. Nice. Well, I'll go with a company that's a little bit less financial. Well, it's not directly financials related, but it is it is a company that is very much tied to the consumer and and um, you know one that's been dealing with a lot of a lot of. Uh, not bad news, but just a difficult situation. Uh, Disney earnings come out later this week on Thursday. Clearly, they've been, um, you know, on the one side, uh, one side of the coin with with their focus on streaming and entertainment. I mean, the business has really um, done very well. The flip side of the coin there is that you know the parks have been closed, uh, and that that has been a real anchor, particularly with what's going on in California. I mean, they they can't. Um, get anything going out there? Uh, you know, you 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 were telling me the story. You guys went down there recently to, to Disney World in Orlando, and it sounded like they they were taking things very seriously and had a had a pretty good thing going there. So it was encouraging to see that they were able to at least to get some uh, traffic going there. But but the stock responding to this vaccine news today, obviously very. Uh, positively, stock uh, right now is as we're taping up about twelve percent, which is a I mean that's a big move for a company like Disney. So I, I'm going to be very in, in, encouraged to see what their language is like on that call regarding this vaccine news and and, and the state of the parks business in general. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. But Matt, I think that is going to wrap it up for us this week. We had a little bit of a long show today. We had a lot to talk about, man. I appreciate you sitting in and uh, and taking care of us today. I'm enjoying watching all the the real estate stocks go up. You know, I'm the I'm a, the the advisor on the our new real estate winner service, um, real.fool.com. If anyone wants to check it out, but all of I mean, we're having a it's a great day for REITs, so we're having a fantastic time watching it today. Yeah, um, some, I'd imagine some, you, you some of our real estate winners are really they're living up to their names. 
That's terrific. Well, man, more power to you, and I hope the ball keeps on going in that direction for you. Uh, remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Music.